uh, if you're new and just joining us, uh, we've been in a series uh, called Kingdom Prep Academy. And what we've been learning is uh, it, it, the tagline for Kingdom Prep Academy is, is um, prepare for heaven and flourish now. The, the idea being that Jesus is going to teach uh, us exactly what kind of things we can do, radically transformative practices that we can make today, now, here, um, that will make us the right kind of people, prepare us for heaven. We can't earn our way into heaven. That's all, on, that's all grace. That's all faith. Um, but when we're, when we're getting ready to go there and, and when we're, the kinds of people who will inherit or take over the kingdom, we need to have these types of, of practices deeply embedded in us. And not only will those practices make us right and ready uh, for a, our eternal life, they're also going to be the key to us flourishing now in this life. And the first week, uh, we talked about uh, rage, bitterness, and how to diffuse it. Um, rage and bitterness is like a bomb waiting to go off. And Jesus says, you need to go and make peace with anybody that you feel that, that offness with. Because if you don't, it, it might start to expand and, and explode and then blow up. And so you've got to be the kind of person who's a peacemaker, who's willing to deal with conflict, who's willing to get in. It's hard. Conflict is so difficult for most of us. And yet we've got to be people who can handle it and do it well and leave with peace. Last week we had a, just a barrel full of fun talking about divorce and, and adultery. Huge, super popular topic for church. Uh, <laughs> And um, I, I, I hope uh, that when we came away with that, we recognized that um, everything that Jesus is teaching us to do has to be in a community of accountability. It ha- it, everyone's got to be on board. And in the case of, of divorce and adultery, Jesus says, in order to stop the epidemic of divorce that was going on in his culture, and I believe that's going on in our culture now, we, we need to be people who are willing to burn our boats, to give everything up, and be willing to sacrifice all to make things right together. And that only works when both parties are on board. If you have one person who's burned their boats and the other person who's looking out for something better, it's just not going to work. And even then, sometimes it seems like things don't work out the way we want. And yet Jesus says, if you start transforming this way, then you're going to be the kind of people who are wholly devoted, sold out all the way. And that's going to be the kind of people who are happiest in heaven. Because they're going to be sold out. They've burned everything, let everything go. They're 100% devoted on Christ. Today, uh, in our text, we're going to be dealing with something that most people in our culture just read right over, because it doesn't seem like it has anything to do with us. I suggest to you, however, that at our particular cultural moment right now, this might be the most important teaching for specifically Americans in the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to hear that again. This might be the most important teaching that Jesus gives, transforming initiative, way to change our lives for our particular cultural moment right now. And so I, I, as we journey through the text, I hope that that's going to, you're going to see that, that's going to that's gonna come out, come alive to you, and you'll recognize, yeah, this, this really, it seemed like it's just, but it actually is totally present to our situation now. So with that, um, let's, let's uh, begin reading Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Jesus says this um, to the crowds, Moreover, you have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago. This is, he's quoting the, the Old Testament law. This is what the Jews followed in order to, to feel like they were in right relationship with God. And in the law, in several places, we'll look at them, it says something like this, Don't make a false vow, but follow through on your vows to the Lord. 
Then Jesus says, but I say to you that you must not even make solemn promises. And he's talking here uh, about, there, there's a difference in, um, in the ancient world between vows and oaths. He's using the word for oaths here, and that's uh, something that people do together to each other. So he's saying, don't even make an oath or a solemn promise to one another. Not by heaven, since it's God's throne. Not by earth, since it's his footstool. Uh, and not by Jerusalem, since it's the city of the great king, the Lord. And you must not pledge by your head. And the language there would be almost as if we were uh, looking at the mafia don saying, it's on my head if I don't pay you back. Um, it's sort of similar thing where I'm, I'm, I'll do what you want with me if I can't pay it back. Since you can't turn one hair white or black. Jesus ends with this, let your yes mean yes and your no, no. Any more than this comes from the evil one. Now admittedly, this seems a little bit like but let, let, let's, let's go back to the text, because we're not a culture where people are doing a lot of oath-taking. I mean, most people take an oath or a vow, what, like, when they get married and when they uh, swear in as president. That's about it. Uh, maybe if I, they, they still do the vows when you uh, are witnessing in a, a trial, I think. But most of us don't spend a lot of time making oaths and promises. That's actually something we've shoved off to the legal sector, right? We do contracts in America uh, where we say, I'll do this and borrow this from you and I'll pay you back. In the ancient world, um, religion and, and politics were mixed. And so in the ancient world, uh, something like this was really, really important because it governed every aspect of life. And the teaching in the Old Testament is don't make a false vow, but follow through on your vows to the Lord. Notice what this is saying. This is not talking, in this text right here that Jesus is quoting, it's not talking about the stuff that we do with each other. It's only like, God, give me a good harvest, and I promise I will give 10% of my flock or whatever. Um, that's the kind of thing we're doing right here in this text. And I want you to, th- uh, to just briefly introduce you to, to oaths and vows in the ancient world so we can see how this matters to us now. These are the, t- the primary texts that um, Jesus is drawing on. It says, And you shall not fa- swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God. I am the Lord. Again, this is talking about when you're talking to me. You know, don't profane me. When you make a vow to me, uh, or you need to be good about it. You need to take care of it. And, and then uh, similarly, Numbers 32 says, When a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, oath, now he's talking about other people, not just God, Right? A vow to the Lord, Lord, if you give me, um, you know, a bunch of flocks, I will give you 10%. And then oaths, um, hey, buddy, I promise uh, if you give me this, I'll give you that, something like that. So two different things, to God and to other human beings. He shall not break his word, and he shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Now, in Jesus' day, the rabbis and the religious elites who wanted to follow the law, who wanted to obey the law, they actually started to collapse this. They started to make it so that instead of uh, swearing an oath to bind himself by a pledge was between you and me, it was also something that was uh, to, to God. It was, it was, they kind of squished it together, so it was both. If you're, making a vow, if, you're, if, you're, if you're making a promise to someone else, you're invoking God, okay? And what that means is that if you don't want to break that oath, then what you must never do is say something like this, as God is my witness. Never do that. The ancient people, ancient Jews would never say something like that. Occasionally in the Old Testament, you'll get something like, as the Lord lives, that's about as close as they would get. But they would never, ever, ever say, by, in Yahweh's name, do it. So what? Well, there were some very holy people. They never did this. Um, And so they were trustworthy, right? 
You could, you could bank on it because they, they were the kinds of people who, uh, they obeyed the law. They were religious. They were good. They, they, never, they never violated these commands. They never, ever, ever swore by the Lord's name. But they did swear by other things. Uh, let, let's uh, look at the text again here. Notice what Jesus says. He says, um, even when you're making pledges and oaths to each other, uh, don't swear by heaven. Don't say, as, as heaven or by heaven, I promise you I'll do X. Never say, by earth, I promise that I'll do Y. Never say, in Jerusalem, because of Jerusalem, by Jerusalem, my city that I love, I know that I will do Z. Never ever do those things. Why? Well, because Jesus notes that each one of those things actually does implicate God. God is a part of every single one of those things. If you're swearing by heaven, well, who's in heaven? God. And what's God's name? Yahweh. So if you're swearing by heaven, you're implicitly invoking Yahweh. If you swear by earth, well, who made the earth? God. Who rules over it? Him. It's his footstool. If you're swearing by the earth, you're implicitly bringing God into your oath. If you're swearing by Jerusalem, this is for Jews in the ancient world, this is the holy city, the center where God dwells and lives. It's his city. If you're swearing by that, you're implicitly involving him. Even if you swear by your head, you say, it's on my head. Guess what? You don't have control over your head. Only God does. He is in control of all things. You're implicitly invoking him. Why does this matter? Because the religious elites in Jesus' day found out that as long as they just didn't say, they, they, they came up with a loophole. As long as I don't say, by Yahweh, I promise I'll do this. They could say whatever they wanted and never be in violation of the law. They could make promises all the time. And they never had to follow through. They would never be in danger of breaking the law because they didn't do this one thing. They didn't say, by Yahweh's name. So they would start, and when you know, People want credibility. They start to, this is what kids do, right? Um, Mom, I swear, I promise. I swear to you, I will, I will be good all day if you get me that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do it uh, to, to each other, you know, especially in business, right? When we're, um, we're really trying to make that sale. It's like, brother, I swear to you. I, this was my favorite. Uh, do you know Owen Wilson, the actor? In the early 2000s, he was my favorite because in every movie, he would say something like this. He'd be like, can I be honest with you for a second? And you're like, wait, what was just happening? That, is it, yeah, okay, now let's be serious. That's, that's, uh, that's kind of what would be happening. Like, by heaven I promise, da 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 I swear by the da 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 And you know what? Hey, if it takes place, great. If not, I'm off the hook on, in, from, in God's perspective. So what do I care? And that's the first thing in your note sheets. In Jesus' day, pious elites could take oaths and break them without violating the law by swearing by something other than Yahweh. They were able to walk around being like, I'm perfect, I, I follow the law, I do everything right. And yet they're people who are fundamentally deceptive. They're liars. And you might wonder, okay, so what? I mean, right? Politicians. What's the, what's the joke about politicians? What's a good politician? Dead. Classic. That's not how the joke goes, Scott. Good, good try. I hope no one here is running for office. If, if you are, he does not represent anybody but himself. No, a good politician is one who stays bought, right? They're all lying scumbags, right? But the one who stays bought is a good politician. 
That's kind of, we just assume that, right? So what's the big deal? What's the big problem with, of course, pious religious elites are walking around. They say one thing uh, and they do another. Yeah, of course, we get it. And remember, also in the ancient world, especially in Jerusalem, religious and political elites were the same things, all right? This is kind of like the Vatican, where uh, the people who are at the top are not just um, politicians, they're also priests and bishops and things like that. So they have two functions, they're religious and political together, and they're walking around telling people, hey, we're going to make your lives great. And they don't do anything. This is the environment in in which Jesus is giving this teaching. He's living in a world where politicians and, and religious elites are saying one thing, doing another. Ah, well, who cares, right? What difference does it make? This is, um, a, do we have the painting? Yeah, the painting. This is uh, by Francesco Hayes. He was a, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but he was a 19th century Italian romantic painter. Uh, this is uh, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, Hayes was known for, for uh, really taking things that were horrible and making them uh, beautiful. It, that was his, that was his, his shtick. And, and so he's, he's making these Jewish rebels out to be heroes as they're being crushed by the might of the Roman army. What happened is literally just 40 years after Jesus' ministry began, the trust deficit between the people of Israel and their elites got so great that the people rose up in revolt. They tried to throw off their, um, their religious and political elites. They, they felt like taxation was unfair. And uh, so there was a bunch of different groups. Uh, the, the names don't matter too much for us, but it's like Pharisees and Sadducees and Idumeans and uh, the Zealots. I mean, there's four different groups that kind of banded together because they could, not, they could no longer trust Rome or their own uh, Jewish uh, rulers to do right. And so they gather at Jerusalem and, and they throw out the Roman garrison. So Rome is like, nope, that's not going to work. And so uh, future emperor Vespasian uh, is the Roman general who's tasked with uh, laying siege. And uh, I think at some point he has to leave and he sends in uh, Titus. or what, I think he had to go to become emperor in 69. Um, and so he hands over control of the armies to Titus. And Titus lays siege to Jerusalem. It's a seven-month siege. And the reason it only lasts seven months is because these groups inside uh, Jerusalem, they don't even trust each other. They have a complete lack of trust of each other, and so they begin infighting. And Josephus isn't quite sure, but he thinks, um, Josephus is a historian we, we know uh, from the ancient world, he thinks that it was uh, the zealots who literally were so fed up with not being able to trust their co-conspirators that they burned their own food supplies. And so it took about seven months before the, the, the rebels were starving to death, and finally they gave in, and uh, Jerusalem was sacked by Rome, and the uh, temple was burned to the ground. But the Jews weren't done. They weren't done being uh, fed up with a trustless society. Uh, just about 50, 60 years later, they did it again. They rebelled again. And then finally, in like 150, uh, 160 AD, uh, they revolted a final time. Bar Kokhba uh, was the guy's name, and they, a final revolt, and that was it. Rome was done. Rome just smashed Israel and wiped it off the map. And every single one of these things was because the, the people of Israel could no longer trust the ones who were above them. They, there was just a huge trust deficit. They'd been lied to so many times. And so many false vows had been kicked out, but oh, it doesn't matter because I didn't swear by Yahweh. I had my fingers crossed behind my back. It's okay. Because that had happened to them so many times, they uh, basically self-destructed. 
man, thank goodness that could never happen here, right? Civil war in America? Oh, wait. Um, I think that our cultural moment is um, tremendously impacted by this. I think, do I have, do I have this, the statistics? Yeah. Okay, I just chose three, but here's the deal. It, it's across the board. There is literally not one public institution in the United States of America that is gaining trust from people. Okay? Literally not one that I could find. Maybe like, I don't know, people believe... We don't even believe in mail anymore. It's like, that's why we use Amazon and UPS. That's why we email. We don't believe in anything. Uh, 30% of, of African Americans have a great deal or quite a lot of comp- confidence in the police. Three in ten um, black people in this country have quite a lot or more confidence in the police. Now, whether or not you think that's good or bad, just think about how fundamentally broken the relationship is between our black brothers and sisters and the police who are supposed to keep the peace to protect and serve them. Is it any coincidence that, what, a year or two ago, um, one of the members of the Black Lives Matter movement went and started assassinating police? I think it was in Texas. You remember that? That happened. Because he felt he was already at war with an imperial oppressor. Why? Because the black community in the United States of America feels as if it has been lied to over and over and over again by the very people who are supposed to serve and protect. That's how they feel. I'm not, I don't want to make a judgment about whether they're right, wrong, or whatever. All I'm telling you is that 30% of African Americans is the lowest on record um, have faith in the police. Uh, if you're wondering, for Americans as a whole, it's only 52%. One out of two people no longer trust the police. That's a recipe for what? Disaster. Uh, here's, this one's so fun. 32% of Americans have a great deal or fair amount of trust for news media to report the news fully, accurately, and fairly. Oh, let's take a straw poll. Who here, uh, you turn on Channel 7, David Muir. Have you seen David Muir? Because that guy looks exactly like every guy before him. Tom Brokaw, Dan Rather, Stone Phillips. They all look exactly the same. Strong jaw. All right, David Muir gets on, and he's... Let's have a raise of hands here. Who thinks that David Muir is telling you the truth? Anybody? Okay, we're at 0% here. All right, way to go. Sweet. Okay, all right, we move over. We switch over to Brit Hume, right, Jack? And Brit Hume, you trust him? Is he good? Okay, we got some Brit Hume fans. That's great. Think about that. You know what other society had this kind of trust level with the media? The Soviet Union? Yeah. Uh, Pravda, the propaganda arm of the, of the Soviet... That, people would read the newspaper and assume the opposite to be true because they believed fundamentally they were being lied to. And that ended so well for Russia, Right? Oh, and to say nothing, I mean, half the country says, President Trump's a liar. Half the country says, it's all fake news. I mean, isn't that crazy? Like, the the trust between the two, it's like, which brings up the last, at least we can trust the government, right? (laughs) Thank gosh, you know, goodness gracious, we've got, we've got, 
the best and brightest, top men, as I said in Indiana Jones, uh, only 18% of Americans trust the government to do what is right, just about always, or most of the time. In 1958, that was 75%. Now, I'm not ready to... Uh, you know, rebel, or start a civil war. But let me tell you something. If you're looking for a place where a civil war might break out, you're looking at a place like this, where people and institutions are no longer built on trust. Everyone suspects everyone else of lying all the time. You immediately assume that nobody is telling the truth, and you act accordingly. You hunker down, you get into like your small group of people because the public, the public institutions have failed. And when those groups start disagreeing with each other, well, gosh, I, it, it does seem like we're starting to see a lot more civil violence, civil unrest, a lot like the 1960s in this country. And I suggest to you that a huge part of it is because our elites have been lying. We're living in a time where people get up and they, use, they, they have professionals to write speeches that are so flowery and wonderful and they make us feel such incredible things and then do something completely different. And if you do that long enough and you do it consistently enough, you are fomenting the grounds of disaster. We are, I believe, in this country facing a catastrophic loss of trust which is exactly what Jesus was facing when he gave this teaching. And what Jesus did is he came up with this radical thing. He said, here's how we're going to fix this problem. Okay, we have an epidemic of lies and distrust. Everyone's at everyone else's throat. And he, because they didn't listen to him, 40 years after he's uh, resurrected and gone to heaven, the whole place blows up. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. It's, it's, it's this right here. Let your yes mean yes and your no, no. Any more than this comes from the evil one. I want to take just an aside really quick. Evil one. <laughs> Jesus is using a lot of hyperbole in, uh, in, in this. It, like last week, he's like, gouge out your eye uh, if you're struggling with lust, you know. He didn't really mean that. Don't cut off your hand and gouge out your eye. He, he doesn't, when he's talking about hell, he's being hyper, hyperbolic. He's not saying, if you do one of these things, you're going to go to hell. He, he, what he's doing is he's, he's getting you really, he's like, this is serious stuff, guys. So he's using hyper, hyperbole. What that means is that it, it, Jesus is not per, saying, never make a promise. Never do that. That's not what he's saying. Um, and I, and I want to make that clear. So that, that's in your note sheets. Uh, Jesus uses hyperbole to make his point. It is not wrong to make promises. There are many Christian uh, sects uh, that have said that you're not allowed to take oaths because of this Sermon on the Mount teaching, that's, that's over the line. That's a little, a little crazy. Uh, they're not understanding that Jesus is, he's a speaker. He likes to exaggerate uh, when he's teaching. Sometimes I exaggerate when I tell stories. But the, it's basically true and right, but I throw in some things to make it more fun. That's what Jesus, well, <laughs> he's throwing in things to make it scarier. Okay, okay, let's, let's look at the, 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 the substance of the teaching, though. Let your yes mean yes and your no, no. You can almost hear it in the way that he says that. that like, let your yes be yes, no, no. A really, really wooden translation would be, um, let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. 
I mean, how different is that from what you get from people who are trying to get your trust? If someone's trying to manipulate you emotionally to make the sale, if someone is trying to get into your confidence, what, what kind of person is that? Oh, you can trust. Uh, look, I got your best interests in hand. Every, don't worry about it. Uh, hey, I know you're worried about this, but, but trust me on this. I, we're going to do this, this, and this. Look, can I be completely honest with you? Here's what we're going to do, okay? And, and, and da, 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 you're, imagine your life. It's going to be wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I promise it's going to be. That's the kind of attitude that people who are selling something, people whose maybe word isn't so trustworthy, that's how they sound. Jesus is saying, he, he's, he's, he's like flipping it upside down. He's like, be the kind of person who is just yes, yes, or no, no. Taciturn. Simple. You don't have to be flowery. Just be the kind of person who, who can just say it, yes or no, and stand by it. For one moment, I would like us to just imagine. Imagine in the movies a person who, when you look at them in the movies, you're like, that's the kind of person that Jesus is talking about. An actor, an actress, somebody who, who every time you see him on the screen, you're like, that is a person whose yes is yes, whose no is no, and nothing else. That's all that person is. There, there is a correct answer to this. Uh, so if you've chosen the wrong one, you'll be penalized five points. The correct answer is the Duke. Yeah. Pilgrim. Did anyone think of the Duke before I said it? Awesome. We got some. Everybody else, you're wrong. Hang your head in shame. Uh, but isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting? I bring this up just because I think that culture, is, pop culture, is so powerfully influenced by our values that isn't it strange that there is not one person that you can think of, with the possible exception of Morgan Freeman, who's in movies right now, who, when you look at him, you're like, that's a person of integrity. Integrity is not something we value in our culture. John Wayne's gone. We don't value in our culture a, a, a person who simply stands up and says, this is how it is. That's it. I'd show you the uh, top 10 uh, actors, paid actors, uh, from 2017, and I guarantee you not one of them, not one of them, looks like somebody you can trust. They look like they can do super heroic things, so they have massive pecs. They're huge. Like, they, they do, they look like they're not even human. Uh, like, steroids. Uh, they look like superheroes, but they don't look like somebody you can trust. In fact, six of them play superheroes. But their characters are always people who are cool. People who uh, are sarcastic, funny. They're rarely, never people who just say, this is how it is. And I don't have to do anything to convince you but be me. One of the sad things about uh, American Westerns where, I mean, it doesn't have to be John Wayne. It could be uh, Gary Cooper, Jimmy Stewart, Clint Eastwood. 
It could be any of those, those, those guys. Isn't it interesting how in those movies, um, if, you've, if you're familiar with them, every single situation, there's only one person who's trustworthy. It's John Wayne or Gary Cooper or whoever, right? There's one person who you can really depend on. And everybody else is weak, a quizzling, a coward. And this one person comes in and saves everybody, usually at the cost of their own life. It's very individualistic. It's because these movies are made in a time in our culture where we're already starting to see integrity fading. We're already starting to see the increase of deception and lies, and, and, and there's almost this call, like this, this pain, this nostalgia for what it was like when people trusted each other. And this, I think, is what makes Jesus' teaching radical. It's something that we have a hard time with in English. Uh, let's go back to the text. Let your yes mean yes, and your no, no. Uh, in, like, North Carolina, this would have been said, let all y'all's yes mean yes, and all y'all's no mean no. It doesn't mean let you, Jim, you, Tracy, you. No, it means all y'all. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, uh, remember, this, all, the, these transforming initiatives, they have to begin in a community of, of accountability. He's saying this whole trust thing, it doesn't work when it's just one guy. The Duke's not going to save the world. Okay, It's going to have to be an entire community of people, a small community, who are following me, and all of us together are going to practice this, where we're not going to try and swindle each other or cheat or lie or try to get away with it. What we're going to do is we're going to be simply yes and no people to each other. That's all we're going to do. And if we begin doing that to each other in this small place, the church, the entire culture will be transformed because we are all desperate to be in a society and a community of trust. We are constantly aware of being lied to and the last thing we want is for that to continue. And that's um, the next thing on your note sheets, the last thing. It takes a team of truth-tellers a team of truth-tellers to generate trust. It takes a team, it takes us, a community of faith, to generate trust. It has to come from Christ because, man, our natural inclination is to go back on our words. It has to come from His Spirit who empowers us and changes us by His grace. And what Jesus' teaching uh, is, is, is like, if you want to see our culture saved, start here. Be people of integrity. And that's actually really hard. And uh, I'd like to bring, uh, right now, I'd just like to bring this down uh, home to, to try and uh, make, make this real, something that every single person here can do to try and live out this teaching, to try and be transformed in this way. Um, the first uh, are, are the people pleasers. All right, there are some of you out there who like to make other people happy. And so this is what you do on a daily basis. You hate people because they're always asking you for something. And so you're scurrying through the halls and someone, your coworker pops out and says, hey, do you think you could? And immediately like, yes, of course, I'd love to help. And then you get to the end of the day and you're like, wow, I've helped a lot of people and I hate my life. I always say yes. And, you know, you're a good person, so you follow through, just as Jesus would have you do. But, 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 
you're miserable. And then you've got so many plates spinning that you have one more yes that you give. And it's the yes that you just can't follow through on. So people pleasers, stop saying yes. In this community, you have to be willing to hurt people by saying no. And because I'm a pleaser, I know this is hard for you. But you have to do it. If you can say no and wound somebody, be like, nope, I can't help you. And they're like, you're not a Christian. This needs to get done. Serve! And you're like, nope, I'm not going to do it. You are giving them an opportunity to develop trust with you. You are giving an opportunity uh, to, to, to trust is like glue, to glue this community together. Alpha dogs. I'd like to be an alpha dog. Life seems cool for those guys. If you don't know what an alpha dog is, it's the leader of the pack. It's the person who's like, I got this. They have no problem making other people unhappy. And so alpha dogs walk around like this. Doop, 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 doop. And someone comes up like, sir, please, I need your help. No. Uh, I got my own thing I'm doing. Deal with it. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, alpha dog, please, I, I'm, I, we're, we're in trouble here. If you could just donate a little bit. Stop it. Just, just I'm over here, okay? Alpha dogs are people who have no problem saying no. And as a result, they are more than willing to completely lack empathy for those who are around them and, uh, and crush their spirits. If you want to develop trust in the community, alpha dogs, stop before you say no and think, maybe. Pray about it. And then call back and say, sure, I'll help you out. Even though you don't deserve it and I'm better than you. <laughs> Bosses, right after alpha dogs. <laughs> Bosses, uh, here's the deal. Uh, integrity and trust comes um, from leading by example. When you uh, tell your people, hey, this is what we're going to do, do it. Be the one who does it first, and then they'll be more inclined to follow you rather than leading from behind being like, you go do that. Suffer. <laughs> uh, this one's serious. Um, oppressed and abused. Um, there are people who, for reasons of personal safety, um, and protection of themselves need to lie. Uh, for example, if you are hiding Jews in your home and the Nazis come, you say, no, there are no Jews here. That is a lie, but that is okay um, because you are protecting the innocent and the weak. If you are abused or oppressed, you be as truthful a person as you can, but it is okay to deceive those who are oppressing or abusing you. Um, I believe this because that's exactly what we see in the Old Testament when um, Pharaoh is trying to murder uh, Moses. Uh, his family lies and says, oh, no, he's dead. And that's, that's all right. Uh, but in general, in general, uh, try to be truthful people. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. But don't uh, do that so much that you or others end up getting hurt. Parents. We love making promises to our kids. Follow through. Like, do it. We do this to our kids all the time. We'll be like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll go to the park later. Psst, no way. Take a nap. And they're crestfallen. Like, how could you? 
I'm just kidding, we don't, don't do that. But, but if we did, think about what that does uh, to their notion of trust and their notion of community and, and glue. Anybody, if, if you make a promise, go through and Don't say it unless you're going to do it uh, because you're trying to bind everyone together. Um, the betrayed. Some of you here have uh, been in positions where you've been deeply vulnerable to others. Uh, you have laid it all out. You have been fully honest. And somebody uh, just looked at that and said, yes, I would love to take that knife and just stab you in the heart. Try, uh, yes, yes being yesing and no being knowing is really hard for people who've been hurt like this. Uh, and, and so what I would suggest is make a practice of small yeses with people that you might be able to come, become close to. Uh, if you're thinking, you might want to join a small group. Uh, we do that here. I'd love to find out if you do, if you'd like to be in a situation where you can begin to try and open up in trust again. If that's scary for you, um, I'd, I'd love for you to join a small group because that's what it's for. It's for you to be able to, to open up and to be real with somebody else. And those small measures of trust can grow into something um, a lot bigger. And last but not least, promise breakers. Um, in Southern California, we say things like, oh yeah, man, I'll be there at 3. And about 3.45, we might show up. This is contributing at a very, at a very deep level uh, to our, our broader catastrophic loss of trust. If you're a promise breaker, uh, today is the day to say, you know what, I'm not going to make the promise unless I'm going to go through with it. And really believe that if you can do that in here, in this community, that we actually can be the change that will fundamentally move the world. Like, we really can be the, the beginning of a revolution that fixes and changes and glues back together that which has been put apart. It's sometimes scary uh, for me to turn on the news and see exactly how divided we can be as a nation. But what gives me hope is that, uh, A, Jesus saw this before we did, and B, he gave us the tools to fix it. Brothers and sisters, this week, begin with small yeses that you follow through on, because a team of truth-tellers is what's needed to generate trust. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, confess, God, those of us who have uh, been weak with our words, who have uh, damaged uh, relationships and others because of our uh, inability to generate trust. God, we confess that. We lift that up to you. We know that you forgive. Um, we pray for uh, forgiveness now. God, we ask that uh, this community will begun, become an antidote to a culture that is uh, disintegrating because of lies and deception. We pray that we will be people who can say yes and no to each other fearlessly. That we can be people who are united and, and, and communal. That we can be the glue uh, that can begin to put this messed up culture back together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.